Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday night, and that means it is time for another episode of Friends and Fiction. I think this is like 138, something like that. Yes. Isn't that crazy? 138. I, I can't. <laughs> and we are so looking forward to tonight. So let's get started. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. And I'm Patty Callahan Henry. And this is Friends in Fiction for New York Times bestselling authors endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we'll be talking with Sarah Addison Allen about her much anticipated and newest novel, Other Birds. And then on the second half of the show, we will be talking to Lauren K. Denton, another favorite of our members about her newest, A Place to Land. And don't forget, as you know, we continue to encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way to do that is to visit our own Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page, where you can find Sarah's and Lauren's books and books by the four of us and all of our guests at a discount. And have you seen our fall schedule for the Wednesday Night Live show? It's under announcements on our Facebook page. For all of you, our more than 90,000 members. Are we at 91 yet? 91,000 today. Yeah. 91,000 today, members. Next week, we have Shelby Van Pelt, the author of Remarkably Bright Creatures, then Elizabeth Stroud on September 28th with her newest Lucy by the Sea. What a lineup, you guys. You were not going to miss a, want to miss a single week, so go check it out. I know. I'm excited. Every week I just get so psyched. Like tonight, we're so excited. Yeah, like, I know. I, I told like five people tonight, we have Sarah and Lauren. And they're like, I know. Do you think they're going to come on after how weird we were being backstage? <laughs> I think they probably departed. I don't claim them. John's going to pull them on. We're going to say, bring on Sarah. And it's going to be like a blank screen. Yeah. So. She'll be like, no. So we know many of you have been participating in our very first Friends in Fiction Reading Challenge, organized by our friend Anissa Armstrong. This month, the September challenge is a retelling of a classic. And if you're looking for a way to keep track of these books and your other reading, we recommend our beautiful reading journal available at our friends at Oxford Exchange in Tampa. Um, of course, that's a bookstore we've talked about many times. They carry our merch line. We love working with them, but that, uh, that, that reading journal is pretty awesome. So for the reading challenge this month, um, we each picked our favorites or, you know, our books we would recommend to you that are retelling. Mine was Beautiful Little Fools by Julie, uh, Jillian Cantor, which is a retelling of The Great Gatsby from the women's point of view. I thought it was so inventive. Thanks. Mary Kay chose Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld, a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. And Christy chose Incense and Sensibility, which is a retelling of Sense and Sensibility by Sonali Depp. 
And I chose, I know this does not surprise you, Circe by Madeline Miller. I loved that book and how it brought the myth of Circe and the Odyssey alive. Okay, everyone, you know that every week we love doing an Ask Us Anything segment, but tonight we're going to do it in the after show. So if you have any questions you have that you wanna do and ask us anything, just put it in the comments and we'll either get to them tonight or save them for next week. All right, ladies, shall we get to our friends, Sarah and Lauren? Absolutely. All right, first, let me tell you a little bit about Sarah Addison Allen, although I know that so many of you are such huge fans and I really don't need to tell you, but we're going to anyway. <laughs> That's right. Sarah is a New York Times bestselling author of several novels, including Garden Spells, The Sugar Queen, and The Girl Who Chased the Moon. Her books have been translated into more than 30 languages and millions of copies are now in print. She describes her work as Southern fried magic realism. I love that. Sarah was born and raised in Asheville, North Carolina, in the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and she grew up with a love of books and an appreciation of good food, which she credits to her parents. She majored in literature in college. After publishing four best-selling novels in five years, Sarah took a hiatus to return to writing with her 2014 bestseller, Lost Lake. Sarah's new novel, Other Birds, was just released. It is so whimsical and lovely and smart and a page turner of a book. And this is the second week it's out and the second week that it hit the New York Times. So Sean, can you bring Sarah on? Hi everyone. (laughs) We are so glad you didn't leave us. (laughs) (laughs) I I am here just to see what you guys have to say. (laughs) No, we're here for you, love. Okay, we are so happy to have you on, and congratulations on Other Birds' huge success. The New York Times list, the Barnes & Noble Book Club pick, the Book of the Month selection, and on and on. You must be thrilled. So instead of me telling our viewers and listeners what your book is about, can you tell everyone what it's about? And then, because I've heard you say that in your writing, you want to tap into universal truths. Don't just tell us what it's about, but what it's really about. (laughs) That's a good one. I like that. Ah, Other Birds is about um, a a, a small condo complex on on an island known for its marshmallow candy. And the uh, book starts out with a um, an almost 19 year old who comes to this um, uh, this condo complex and she ends up bringing these people um, together and, and uh, there are little birds who are annoying and oh they're <laughs> and not annoying <laughs> do what <laughs> they're not annoying I love they those are- <laughs> I would shoo them away every day. They would come back, but they're called Delawists. I made them up, but uh, <laughs> um, it. Um, I think what it's really about is about um, what we hold on to and mm. how to let go. There are mm. um, several points of view from the from ghosts in the stories, so um, it, it hit home really personally for me, um, particularly with the ghost stories about, um, particularly the um, you know when, when we're holding on to grief. So I think it's a lot about how to let go. Ah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So 
Um, Sarah, I have heard you call these amazing characters misfits, and they even call each other that, but I'd also call them fascinating and imaginative and wounded and lovely. You wrote from all their points of view, even the ghosts, although Zoe is the flowing river of the story. She brings us into the town, the condo, the lives of others. So can you talk to us about coming to know differing and unique characters so deeply, especially Zoe, who is a teenager heading to college? I think what you know. I think it, writing from first person um, gives you the point of view from uh, of a character very well throughout the book. So it, I, it and but I've always written third person and from multiple points of view. I I think getting into the head of some characters. Um, I think it, it, it enhances the story in terms of, um, particularly when it comes to relationships, um, whether it be romantic or um, familial or um, relationships with, you know, even with nature or with food, um, getting into to, into the heads of characters and their motivations. Um, for me, it helps me write the story because um, if I write a scene and it's from one character's point of view, I pick up on the next scene, you know, with another character's point of view, and it doesn't rehash the the scene before, but it it takes it and it gives you another um, perspective of just what just happened. So I've always written that way. I I, I think it just comes naturally. It's it's um, it's what's in my head. Yeah, that's awesome. That's hard to do too, because sometimes when sometimes when authors do that, it, it can feel repetitive, but it. It doesn't. The way that you sort of manage all of that feels really um, natural and just right to the story, like very additive. Okay, so no spoilers, but there are some character twists that catch your breath in this story. So everyone's secrets come slowly into focus and this with this layering that you really brilliantly executed. So can you talk about your plotting for this? And again, no spoilers, but did you know the twists when you were going in or did they just kind of evolve as the story evolved? They, uh, I am such a pantser when it comes to writing. I wish <laughs> oh, I could plot. Okay. Um, writing is an excruciating experience for me, trying to get a book out because I have a set, I have the setting, I've got the characters in mind. Um, I have a general idea of what, you know, where it's going to go, but it always ends up surprising me. I, and it, it's, it, it's frustrating and I, and I, I'm in tears a lot of the time and I'm, <laughs> eating, you know, 1600 bars of chocolate. It, it, <laughs> I can't not write this way though. I, it, 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 and some of these things you're, you're talking about, I knew what the final aha was. You it, did. It, okay. I, I, I knew that. Um, but as far as the other ones, some of them surprised me. I went, Oh, huh. and then I have to go back oh. to the beginning of the book and sort of weave in the Easter eggs oh. because, you know, it's like, there was absolutely no clue up until that point where, what some of these, you know, aha moments are. So it's painful and it's frustrating, but um, it's very organic. I have tried plotting and I can't. It doesn't, it doesn't flow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Gosh, and I wish I could do it that way. Like that gives me such anxiety, but obviously like it works so well for you. It's, it's just, it, it is endlessly fascinating to me how each and every one of us does it in a completely different way, you know? Right, right. And it, yeah. it's our path and it's what we take it's, you to, yeah. And, it, and you can't really teach it. It has to, it has to be your voice and it has to be your story. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons, you know, when it comes to writing advice, so many people say, just sit down and do it. 
Yeah. And yeah. whether or not it's their process, your process, any process is just sitting down and getting it done. That is so true. You can't do anything if you don't have those words on the page. Right. So, so Sarah, um, talking about magical realism a little bit, we slip easily between worlds in this novel, losing ground and then gaining it back with this really charming prose. Um, you often write about magical realism and your character Zoe says, the invisible isn't always imaginary. I love that so much. How would you define magical realism and what does that mean to you? Magical realism is a a way of seamlessly putting the unreal into the real. It's not yeah, fantasy. It's it. not, um, you know, otherworldly. It is the world in which we live in which magical or unusual things happen, and they are not magical or unusual in the whole context of the story. Um, I, I had no idea what the genre was until I was in college. And I, I, one of the very first books of magical real, realism I read was The Passion by Jeanette Winterson, but also like Water for Chocolate. And there's a, a book called I Am One of You Forever by Fred Chappell. And these, it was like, when I read these books, it was like I'm taking a geode and cracking it open and inside yeah. the sparkle was inside i, I had that. no idea that this kind of fiction existed and i didn't think of writing it at all until much later but to this day those first works of magical realism i read are my favorite they're the ones that live in my head oh i love that and you know that example of the geode is such a good one because the follow-up question I have for you is about how you mix the the real with the magical sort of. So even with the magic, we're really grounded in reality here. So um, when Oliver said, for example, I knew that she had a long road ahead of her learning to accept that the one person you wanted to love you the most was the one person who never would. You know, there are so many one-liners like this that are so real that just hit us right in the heart. So can you talk a little bit about toggling between two worlds, the whimsical one and the magical, uh, the whimsical and the magical one, and also the solid and the grounded one at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about striking that balance? It, um, I think one of the reasons that magical realism resonated with me in, in it was in the context of I've always been a daydreamer. Yeah. And and there, there are some ways in which the real world is profoundly disappointing to me because it is not like yeah the world I have in my head, like the way things should be or the way I want them to be. Or, or um, I, I think um, yeah. because I've always been that way, I think it, it was just a natural fit to me for me. And that marriage of what is real and what is unreal is what I live in every day. Um, mm, with, that. you know, being a writer, creating and daydreaming what's in my head. And then the, and the realities of, of what the real world is. I, I, I walk that thin line every day. Yeah. And then, I think part of your magic is that in your magic is that you don't call it magical. Yeah. You're just accepting that we can talk to a ghost or, that there are Delawisps or, so you don't try to explain it, like this magical bird is here splitting around, you just say it, like it's real. It's so there the isn't world. there isn't a delineation of, here's mm -hmm. the magic part and here's the real part, right? Yeah, They're exactly blended right. together. 
That's yeah. exactly right. Yes, that that's a very good definition of magical. I should have asked you first. Let's let's go to Patty. I've thought a lot about it because you just do it so well, and I, you know, anyway, onward. Go ahead, okay. Kathy. I think it's appropriate that we're talking to you at dinner time <laughs> because um, food is often at the center of your stories, and it is here again. Um, the chef Mac, a James. Beard Award winner has his own literal ghost. He makes food for two of the other characters and even a special dinner with his own menu. In your dedication, you say to the memory of my mom who taught me that food is love. It was the first and best magic I ever knew. Oh, I, love now, I think I, I would say the same thing about my own late mother. But if you would talk to us about how food is so important for you and your books. Uh, food because of my mom, I've always equated food with love. And um, many um, of you know the story of the reason I took so long between books is when my mom had a catastrophic brain injury and um, she, um, she was profoundly brain damaged. And I watched her die for four years and it was oh, such a so hard time. So and, I, and during the first few months, up to uh, almost I guess the first eight months after it happened, um, I lost a profound amount of weight. And there was nothing more illuminating to me that th that equation of food is love is when I lost my mom on that emotional level. She was not here. You know, she was my best friend. I, I was really close to her. So um, food is love and, and it has an emotional aspect to me that I have felt all my life and talking about like water for chocolate um it 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 the magical realism part but also the food part and how that um yeah. always felt to me as well that that food is magic and how it can convey emotion and how it can um change the way you feel um i have always put food in my books because it's that uh, food has been an important aspect of my life um all my life but I am a horrible cook. I don't cook. I, 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 I cannot bake. I mean, I could follow a recipe. I just don't find a lot of pleasure in cooking. Um, but the whole idea of food being an extension of love is something I've felt for the longest time. Oh, wow. It felt like you were a cook. Like the menu that he makes for them without spoilers. I almost want to recite the menu, but I don't want to ruin anything. And like that menu, I was like, oh, she must be really good at this. <laughs> I love looking at food. I love looking up food. I love eating food. I just don't like cooking. <laughs> I have a great appreciation for it. It's sort of like how some people are who, lo who love to read, but they have no interest in becoming a writer. I, I, I love to eat. I just don't have any interest in becoming a cook. <laughs> yeah, I feel really seen in this conversation because I have all these cookbooks and like, I love them. I love cookbooks. I like to buy them. I like to own them. I like to look through them and look at the pictures and read the little stories and the, but I do not like to cook. Yes, yes. It's, I don't know what is, I just, I can't seem to make it as well as anyone else. And if I can't make it well, why do it? I, I'm just not, I, I don't know. I love food and cookbooks, but just cooking is not my thing. <laughs> well, writing obviously is. I have, we have one comment I want to read out loud to you from um, someone who's, who's watching that can drop comments in. And she said, thank you, Sarah, for enduring all of that 
so that we can enjoy your lovely book when you were talking about the pain of it. I know, isn't that the best thing to read? Thank you for that. We're just going to pretend they said that to all of us. So um, I want to talk a little bit about themes because I see so many that bubble up in this story. Of course, mothers, stories, Mm -hmm. letting go. I just got choked up talking about your mom. Um, Books, home, finding family, and the gossamer threads that connect us all. But I want to talk about one of them right now, stories. They're so important to you and to this novel. You even open with an epitaph about how stories are fabric. We put over our ghosts so we can see them. Ooh, so good. A quote from the author in the novel, but this line caught me too. Zoe was uneasy with the thought of untold stories. What happens to them? Where do they go? When I read that, I got out my my highlighter. Where do they go if they remain untold? So can you talk to us about this idea and the importance of stories to you? It it came to light um, in bright bursting colors after my mom passed away and I started cleaning out her house. And uh, some of, some who are watching might be following the letters to my niece I've been watching, yeah, watching amazing. writing about um, clothing I've been finding um, of my mom's. And, you know, these things will go to her someday and she will not have the stories. And um, because her mother, my sister, died within days of, of my mom, you know, she doesn't have a mother to tell her these stories as well. So um, I, you know, I started writing other birds and then I put it aside, you know, going through that, that, that tough time. And then I picked the story back up after my mom and sister died and it had whole new meaning to me after, you know, after they passed away, the themes of the book had an entirely new meaning. And then the idea of stories had an entirely new meaning to me, knowing that I had to, um, pass this torch to my niece in some way and, and to think about all the stories that um, she didn't know that I needed to tell her. And I think that was the aspect um, that I put into to this book in particular. And, and when Zoe says those words about what happens to stories, I was thinking about what would happen to the stories of my mom and my oh, sister wow. if I don't tell my niece. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was so powerful. I feel like you alchemized all that pain into some really profound lines in this book. So. I was a different person um, before I started the book than from I was afterwards. What I went through added a dimension to the book that would not have been there otherwise. Yeah. But um, just in real life, I think I'm a different person as well. With, after How all. could you not be? Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Uh, Patty, do you want me to grab a live question? Yeah, will you please? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Um, okay. Well, actually, let me ask this one. Karen Smith means asks, why didn't y'all give Patty the red pink memo? <laughs> so <laughs> why, Patty, <laughs> no. Patty was probably the same thing. But, wait, um, and, 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 and wait till Lauren comes on. <laughs> we're all wearing it. Exactly. I feel like I'm in seventh grade and nobody told me about the slumber party. 
Nobody. <laughs> All right. But a question for Sarah. Um, Robin Shelley says, and this is a question from YouTube, someone watching on YouTube. Was it difficult for Sarah to identify her genre early on? And she adds, I'm writing a book with some magical realism, but not enough to classify it as that. Did she face roadblocks because of her unique ideas? I think that's a great question. That is a great question. Hi. You know, my very first published wor work was a Harlequin romance. Oh, really? Decades ago. Yeah. And I, I thought that was going to be my career because you know, I loved reading them as a teenager. And so I thought, you know, when I graduated from college, let's give this writing thing a try. I went for romance. I had one book published. And the funny thing was I submitted it to a line that wasn't accepted for, but they sent it to another editor in Harlequin saying, here's this really funny romantic comedy. And I had no idea it was funny, but I, I just wanted to be published. And I, I thought that was the way to, to go. But then I couldn't get another book published. There's a point to this, I promise. Um, and it, it, I kept trying to follow the market. I kept thinking, well, this is the way I can get published. Or if I, if I tweak my voice to this, maybe that's selling that's the way I'll get published. And I went through this really dark time of not being able to publish anything. And I almost gave up and I thought, okay, I'm going to give it one more try. And what I ended up writing was not a book that followed the market or a book that actually, you know, fit in any particular genre. It was a book that um, had elements of magical realism, it had elements of, of romance or fo a foodie lit of women's fiction, all the things I like to write ended up in this book. And lo and behold, that was Garden Spells. And it was a book that made my career. And there's a quote by Glennon Doyle that says, reading is the inhale and writing is the exhale. So I think Ooh, it's, it, it's what it. you read and what you like to, um, to absorb and what comes out in a natural voice. And I don't think it has anything to do with genre or following the market. I think it's following your voice. And that's that's the best advice I can give. That's uh, a perfect answer. I love that. And Sarah, so many people who have come on here with, you know, their, their blockbuster have said, I hit the wall. I didn't think I'd write again. Yes. And then I just wrote this. Emily Henry told us that. V. Schwab yeah. told us that. They all had hit this wall where they were like, just forget it. I'm just going to write what I want to write. Yeah. The inhale, exhale. I love that. So I feel guilty asking you this because I, kind of feel like you just gave us a writing tip, but, <laughs> but our viewers it's, and us, it's one of our favorite things. So do you mind before we let you go to give us a writing tip? Oh, no, not at all. Um, I, from the very beginning, I think the, the best and truest thing that I, that I can say when it comes to writing is that oh, it's hard, but don't give up because of those dark days, because those dark days, they make the bright days even brighter. I mean, so bright you can hardly stand it. Um, and it's 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 about perseverance, perseverance, and it's it's that wall. It's it's almost like once you reach that wall, you know you're almost there. So don't yes. give up. Only way through that. is through, right? Yeah. Wow, Sarah. Gosh, we have loved having you, and this story is extraordinary. Thank you for sharing your heart. And, and how you alchemize these things into these magical stories and the Delawisps and Zoe. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks Sarah. Sarah. Take care, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, everyone. That was amazing. Mary Kay, take it away. <laughs> I'm just still so stunned by how great she was. I she know. Was. And, and gosh, how sad about her mom and her sister. Goodness. Same time. Imagine. Yeah. Okay. Sarah was amazing, and we had a great time with her. But now we have a double hatter. And while we get ready to bring Laura, Lauren Denton on, we want to remind you of a couple things. First off, I want to tell you about our Writer's Block podcast with all of us and our beloved librarian pal, Ron Block. We'll always post links under announcements each Friday when a new one drops. On the most recent episode, Ron and Christy talked to Brenda Novak about her new novel, Summer on the Island, which was released earlier this year. Coming this Friday, Ron and Meg talked to Tom Parada about his new novel, Tracy Flick Can't Win, his two decades in the making sequel to Election. Listen, review, subscribe, do all those things for us, please. Thanks. <laughs> so, of course, we cannot let you forget about the Friends and Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa. With 14,000 of its own members, this club is run by our friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner, otherwise affectionately known as PB&J. So they choose the books and they host the authors for their monthly chats. Um, so make sure to listen to all the fun things they do. They have happy hours with our Writer's Block podcast host, Ron Block, who we were just talking about. They keep everyone in the loop about, um, about suggested reads and upcoming releases. And coming up this Monday, September 19th, they'll be discussing The Lost Book of Eleanor Dare with the author, Kimberly Brock. So join them for lots of fun. Okay, it's time to bring on our friend Lauren Denton. She lives right here near me in Birmingham, Alabama, and I have loved her books, and I'm gonna tell the story later, of her <laughs> very first, which is often posted about in Friends and Fiction, The Hideaway. Lauren K. Denton is the USA Today bestselling author of several novels, including The Hideaway and Hurricane Season. Her love affair with Southern writing started with Pat Conroy. No. World Magazine stated, her, stated that her third novel, Glory Road, exudes so much Southern charm that the scent of magnolias practically wafts from the pages. Her very own Kristen Harmel also said her novel, The One You're With, is a complex, compelling, powerful story about the roads not taken. In addition to her fiction, Lauren writes a monthly newspaper column about life, faith, and how funny and hard it is to be a parent. Born and raised in Mobile, Alabama, Lauren now lives with her husband and two daughters in Homewood, just outside Birmingham. When she's not writing or editing, Lauren is going to the grocery store, playing with her daughters and dog Ruby, reading, exercising, sweeping the kitchen floor again. Man, she needs to come over to my house. Yeah. Listening to good music. <laughs> I can't, uh, my, yeah, my kitchen floor needs a good sweeping. Listening to good music and waiting impatiently for their next trip to the beach. Lauren's new novel, A Place to Land, comes out on October 4th. Sean, could you bring Lauren on? Hi, Hi my Lauren. friend. Hey. Hi. Hey, everybody. Hello. You Hello. got the memo. And I did, Patty. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> don't have to forget this. Don't, I, don't, I don't forget these things easily. Lauren, welcome, my friend. Hello. We're so excited. Excited to have you. And just like we asked Sarah, can you not only tell us about A Place to Land, tell us what it's about, but then our favorite, what it's really about. Yes. I love this question. 
So A Place to Land is about what happens when two women who thought they had effectively left their past in the past, when they discovered that it is not as buried as they thought it was. We have two sisters, Violet and Trudy Fig. Violet is a bird watcher. She um, volunteers with the Audubon Society and counts and watches birds and bird habitats. And she, with her sister Trudy, they own a art shop, a handmade art shop in a little town called Sugar Bend, Alabama, called Two Sisters. And her sister Trudy makes um, mixed media art pieces that they sell in the shop. And she doesn't speak. She writes, she communicates through pieces of paper. And towards the beginning of the novel, a boat that has been buried under the river in their town for 40 years rises to the surface. And with it comes all of these secrets that they thought they had left buried in the past. And Trudy and Violet have to decide what they're going to divulge and what they're going to keep hidden and how all of that is going to affect the relationships with the people around them that they love in this little town. What it's really about, I love this. This is a great way to, <laughs> to learn about the book. What I think it's really about is the love between these two sisters and really how far someone will go to sacrifice for someone they love. And I think it's also about um, finding out who you really are and being able to step into that purpose and calling in your life really without um, having regrets or the past kind of pull on you. Um, and it's really about finding your place and finding home. And I feel like all of my stories at, in some way are about finding where you belong. Well, the place where these two sisters belong, Sugar Bend, it's so beautiful and it's so evocatively um, written. I want to move there. Your <laughs> opening begins with Sugar Bend has always been known as a place of secrets and mystery. So, boom, you got us. We're hooked. <laughs> and the last sentence in that opening is... It belonged to a girl whose life was irrevocably changed in that span of one steamy glass calm night. Again, boom, you got us. <laughs> okay, now everybody's going to want to know, is Sugar Bend a real place? Sugar Bend is not a real place. What I do when I, when I write, uh, when I create these places is I base them kind of on a real place. But I always fictionalize the main town because I have learned that if I get one little thing wrong, somebody's going to say this road doesn't go here. It actually goes here. So I have, you know, I've I mentioned other towns in the story, but the actual place is um, I can tell you on the map where it is and it's near actual places. But I just I just made it up and made it however I wanted it to be. I would love to move there too. <laughs> tell us the place, what it's near, or what what you were thinking of when you decided to yes. fictionalize it. Where, what yes. was your inspiration? I guess. So, where my my family goes to the beach, we go to this place called Perdido Key. It's right inside Florida, and it's on a river called Old River. And Old River and the bays and the different waters that kind of feed into it snake up north a little bit. And there's these little communities. There's one called Josephine. There's one called Lillian. If you know where Pirate's Cove is, I'm sure yeah. a lot of the people listening know where that is. Back up on those little those little river towns, that's what I base this on in my mind. Just a really, mm -hmm. you know, shady 
um, little, not shady bad, but like actual shaded. <laughs> like oak um, tree shade. With yes. trees over the water. Yes. Um, yeah, I just, in my mind, this place exists, but it is, it is near where those, uh, just those little small little inlets and coves are. Well, you know, you do Southern and you do humor so well. Okay. Uh, and I know your tagline is Southern grace and grit, humor, hope, and love. We know you grew up in Mobile and now live outside Birmingham. Talk to us about how the South affects your writing and your view of the world and your storytelling. Oh, I think for me, the when I think of writing stories set in the South, it always, like I said, it always has to do with your home and where you belong. And I think no matter where you live in the country or in the world, where you came from matters. But I feel mm -hmm. like in the South, there's just such an emphasis on where you came from, where your people are and what your feeling about that is. There's just as many people never want to return to the place of their birth as the people who can't wait to get back to where they came from. And I, I don't live where I was born. Uh, my family, my, my dad is there, my brother's in Atlanta, but we drive down to Mobile a whole lot and I miss it. It's a place I always thought I would end up. And I love Birmingham and we're here to stay <laughs> in Birmingham, but that pull is still there. So for me, I, I just write about, um, the places that I know really well. And there's something about the, the weather and the voices and the food, like Sarah was talking about. And, um, just the emotion, I don't know, a tide with being from the South and where your people are that really resonates with me a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, before I get to my question, I just have to read this comment from um, our friend Bubba Wilson, who says, well, my TBR <laughs> stack is going to get bigger. Good grief, it is already impossible to resist this book, which I think oh, is wow. such a nice <laughs> a nice comment. Yeah, That's yeah, and she's right, it is irresistible. Um, so Lauren, you talked a little bit about this. The past comes to visit the present in this book, both literally right. with a boat that's been buried deep in the river and metaphorically with the truth of the characters' lives. We have Trudy and Violet and Maya. Did you know, without spoilers, did you know these secrets of the characters' pasts before you dove in? Where did you discover them along the way? Oh goodness. I knew, I knew a lot of them. I, I didn't know everything though, especially about Maya. I didn't know how she was going to play into the story, but I knew from the beginning, um, this sort of goes back to that original little, little nugget that started this whole story idea. I had a, a thought of, um, a hurricane coming through and something being revealed. Um, that had been hidden. And if you've, anybody's read this, there's no hurricane in this story, but that idea of something um, being hidden that is revealed kind of kept sticking with me. So I knew that was going to play a part in Trudy and Violet's story. And then I wanted to have a younger, I wanted to have a younger voice in there. And Maya, I don't even know where she came from. She just came out of nowhere. And I thought she Love fits that. with these sisters um, okay. in, in a really interesting way. So I, I wove her in, but she was kind of a surprise how her relationship to them and her relationship to her grandmother and all that was going to play. Uh, it was fun to see that come together. Well, talking about that, I just, let's touch on mothers for a second. Mm -hmm. So Trudy, Violet and Maya's mothers all left them. Can you talk a little bit about this and why Trudy and Violet might have felt compelled to help Maya while knowing this? Yes, I think, 
you know, it's, that's one of those things that, that often when I write a story, all of these connections, I make all of these connections after I finish writing yeah. it. And I Ooh, see how, I see how little ways I've put myself on the page or little ways that I've, I've put my own thoughts into the page. But I, but for Violet and Trudy to have both had this mother that willfully left them, that chose to leave. And then Maya's mom, again, we don't want to give any spoilers, but she didn't choose to leave. But I think they saw somebody in her, they saw in Maya who they were years and years ago when they were sort of without a, I don't know, without a rudder on their boat. Is that the right metaphor, I guess, kind of steering them. And so they could be that for Maya. And I really liked um, giving Maya a place to, to find her home with these, with these two sisters. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm actually glad to hear you say that because sometimes I do that same thing. Like I'll finish a whole book and then be like, Oh, Wow. <laughs> That's what it's about. Yeah. yeah, there's actually this one interviewer that um, she's interviewed me for every single one of my books. And I truly now I'm like, can we schedule her very first? Because she'll ask me these questions and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even put that yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> um, but um, Violet, you know, really sacrificed her dreams to take care of her sister Trudy. And yet, they never talked about what happened that one fateful night. No spoilers, but uh, can you talk about this choice in your storytelling and how you think it shaped their lives? That's something that I really struggled with during the book because I thought, are they really not going to, is it is the secret going to last this long? Are they really not going to talk about this? Um, I think that's yeah. very Southern of them, though. Yeah. It was what? Very Southern of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think Violet saw herself as a mother figure for Trudy and she really wanted to protect her. Um, and Trudy didn't have anybody else. She had this marriage that, you know, um, wasn't wonderful. And I think she just thought my, I'm going to put myself second and I'm going to put her first and I'm going to do what's necessary to take care of her. And, you know, when I, I, I try to put myself in my character's position sometimes. And it's just so hard to think, would I do that? Would you put your whole life on hold for somebody? But I think Violet is the character who would do that. Um, And that, that sacrifice was, she was willing to make that sacrifice. Yeah. Well, and both sisters have these um, ways of coping. Trudy with her art made of lost objects. And just like Sarah's book, coincidentally, birds play a really defining role in the story for Violet. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah. I, you know, those birds just popped in there. That was not there at the beginning. And, but that I just, from the beginning, I had an idea of the story being, um, just a little more mystical. And I, and I knew that I wanted this fishbone element without saying too much to be in the story. And I, when I was writing that first scene, actually the scene on the, the, um, the scene on the dock, I wrote way early, way before I had written anything else in the book. And this bird just showed up out of nowhere. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. Um, but I, I like that it was outside of, of, of people. It was just something that sort of came from nature and from the world and, and it sort of carried through. And then towards the end, we can see how it sort of shows the two sisters, how life is going to be different going forward. 
Right. Hey, Kristen, uh, do you mind pulling yeah, a reader question yeah, real quick? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Let me just scroll through. Um, Heidi McCahan would like to know, Lauren, are you a plotter or a pantser? Obviously, Sarah earlier was talking about how she kind of writes by the seat of her pants, yeah. um, yeah. uh, and which is the difference. So, pantser is mm -hmm. writing by the seat of your pants. I'm not explaining to you, Lauren. I'm explaining to the audience. And <laughs> plotter is someone who, who, who outlines. Um, I'm glad that you brought Lauren on the call. <laughs> I'm glad you're joining us. I'm going to teach you about writing tonight, Lauren. Oh, I'm glad you. you've joined us. Yeah. No, I, I will take the lesson. <laughs> do you tend to be a plotter or a pantser? I think I would. I am jealous of people like Sarah who can just start writing and see where it goes. I really wish that I could do that, but I I really think I'm somewhere in the middle. I um my plotting is a notebook, and I just write everything down that I can think of with these characters and the conflict and where it's going, it's almost like stream of consciousness. And then I'll be a little more serious and I'll put it on a word doc and I'll bullet point kind of what I think is happening, but I don't plan out whole scenes. I don't plan out whole chapters. I have a pretty loose idea, sometimes more firm than others of what my end scene is. I kind of have an idea of where I'm going because if I don't, I think I just, wiggle all over yeah. the place and I yeah, don't ever yeah. make it anywhere. So maybe a planter. <laughs> I call myself a plotzer. Okay. Same thing. There yeah, go. that's good. Plotzer. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, Lauren, I know you just sort of gave us a writing tip, but I have to say, you know, this has happened a few times in the show where the the themes have echoed so much and we didn't know it yeah. and there's such a deep theme in both of y'all's works about mothers mm -hmm. and I know you both lost your mothers mm -hmm. recently and it's been it has worked its way into your work and then the birds and then the southern setting the two of you I feel like should be a paired book club read <laughs> yes. know, side by side it's yeah. it's really astounding but before you leave us, could you give us a really a writing tip? Because, yes. and for all of you out there, follow both Lauren and Sarah on Instagram. Lauren writes these great weekly articles and her Instagram, she talks a lot about her writing. And Sarah has all these little stories about the clothes she was talking about. But I, I would love to hear a writing tip from you. Yes. Okay, so I will give my writing tip as long as you and any writers who are listening understand that I am completely preaching to myself as I'm giving you my writing tip. Um, so we all have heard you have to write every day. You have to get your butt in the chair and write every day, which is good advice, I think. But I have found that when life is just busy, and you've got a million things going on. Sometimes I can't sit down and write the words or the chapter or the scene yeah. that I meant to do. So my plan for myself is just to get my feet wet in the story every day, just touch it somehow, even if it's rereading what I wrote the day before or just reading the last two paragraphs, or sometimes I'll go in and just write a couple of lines of where I think my next scene is going to start so that I don't start the next day with a blank, you know, blank white space. I love that. So just something to keep that dream work, keep myself in that dream world. Um, so it doesn't go days without, without being seen. 
That's great. Yeah. Um, are there any books that we might be surprised were on your nightstand? And if not, can you just tell us something that you've read lately and loved? Yeah. So I actually met with a, a book group yesterday and I thought that I was, this is a book that I read two books, actually the first in a first two in a series. And I told this group and I thought none of them were going to heard of it. And they all were like, Oh yeah, we read that. So it might not be a surprise, but it's so good. It's uh, the Thursday murder club. Oh, heard? oh, see. Okay. I read the first two this year and I am anxiously awaiting the third of that oh, series. Cool. That's so far out of my usual reading, but I loved them so much. I love They're them. really clear. Yes. Yeah, huh? so. yeah, aren't those Pam's books, Mary Kay? Yeah. My, um, my agent's wife, Pam Dorman, um, is the editor on those, the acquiring editor. Oh. Oh. Yeah, those are by Richard Osmond, by the way. Yes, yeah. I'm so glad that she acquired them and put them out. <laughs> <laughs> third one coming out. Yeah. I, this yeah. month, September, right? I'm not Maybe. sure when, but I know there's a, a third one coming, yeah. Yes. I'm excited about it. Yeah, those are really fun. Okay, Lauren, please don't go anywhere. Okay. Do you mind sticking around for another minute? Because we have sure. more we want to talk to you about. But first, all y'all out there, we want to tell you the big news about our first edition subscription and a few plans for next year. Did you know that we are going back on the road together next year? Yes, we are. We are going to do at least four Friends of Fiction live events, one during each of our book tours. So, um, and a couple of them we already have like planned, signed, sealed, delivered on the calendar, which yeah. is great. But stay tuned because we'll be announcing them soon. And um, we want you to make your travel plans to join us as we take our show on the road in April for my launch, in May for Patty's, in June for Kristen's. And one more in the fall for Mary Kay's Christmas book. And we're kind of all over the country with this one. Yeah, I yeah so. we are. Yeah. yeah, 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 we are. I mean, we, you know, we've heard you. A lot of you have said, you know, a lot of you who don't live in the Southeast have said, you know, come visit us. And we're really making more of an effort to do that. Yeah, for a fine. long time, I think we were kind of constrained by COVID and yeah, sticking yeah. closer to home. But, you know, we want to get to all of you. So yes. hopefully we will. Yeah. So also our new Friends in Fiction first edition box is available now from the indie bookstore Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey, which is one place where we visited live this year. Yep. And it features signed hardback first editions from all four of us in 2023. And a friends in fiction kitchen towel that says dinner can wait. It's time for so friends cute. in fiction. I know it's adorable. You can order from them right now at booktown.com. That is booktown with an E at the end. I bet that holiday cover to come is killing me. I know. Like, <laughs> and, usually, and usually when it's something like that, we're like, but we've seen it. I haven't seen it. I haven't finished writing the book. <laughs> Don't say that out loud. Don't say. All right, Lauren. Yeah, you till midnight. Oh my good Lauren. Okay, Lauren. Since the day I met you in Birmingham at the coffee shop, yeah, we went to O Henry's, right? Yes, we did. And that's where it was. It was yes. at least a decade ago. It was right. a long time ago. Yes. You were yeah. nice enough to to answer an email from a complete total stranger. <laughs> I had just moved there. Was it, had your oldest daughter been born yet? Were you, you were a mom. Yes. I okay. think I had both of them. I had both of them. You did. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So since that day, I've known that stories are important to you. So, and I've met both your mom and your dad at mm -hmm. the, in Monroeville. 
That's talk right. about stories, Monroeville. Yes. Right. Um, so one question we always like to ask, what were the values around reading and writing when you were growing up in Mobile, oh, Alabama? Wow. Oh, wow. I, um, the values, my reading, I was a reading kid. I was not super sporty. I played tennis. Christy, I think you played tennis, right? Yeah. You were probably a lot better than I was, but I played tennis my whole childhood, but I think that was just, I could, well, I could play tennis. You can take not... me now. I just tore my calf playing tennis, oh, so gosh. you should be fine. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's been a while since I picked up a racket, but I wasn't super athletic. I really think what I was good at was reading, and I loved art. I, I wasn't writing at all as a kid, though. The only writing I did was in a journal till Till many, many years later. But my, I mean, yeah. what parents aren't supportive of a kid's reading habit? I was the kid who would read the back of the cereal box and the toothpaste tube. And, you know, we had to build extra bookshelves in my room to hold all my babysitter's club books. And I, my parents gave me money to go shop at the Scholastic Book Fair, which back then was actual books in the library. They would set them up on racks not the little flyer we get home now. So yeah, I, my, my, my parents loved that I read and they, they love that it, that it has turned into this. Um, and we do a lot. I reading is a big part of our life now with my kids. I mean, our, our house is full of books and we go to the library all the time. And I think that from my childhood is just carrying on through my kids childhood. And it's just one of the best things I think I can pass on is just a love of stories and, using that as an escape um, and as entertainment and as a way to find your own voice. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, using question. story to find your own voice. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Lauren, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's always oh. such a pleasure. Thanks for talking about stories and finding your voice and Trudy and oh, Violet and, and Meg Walker really wants to know what the crossroads are at Sugar Ben. <laughs> at Sugar Ben. <laughs> Oh, I'll draw her a map. I'll send her a map of it. Will you please send her a map? Mark this spot. Yes. Okay. This is so where, fun. Can you tell everyone where to find you in both real and digital life? Because I think you're going to be at the Southern Festival of Books in Nashville. Yes. I'm going to be in Nashville on the Friday. I think it's 2 or 2.30 or so of um, the weekend is October 14th through 16th. And then... For anybody who's in Birmingham, I'm going to um, be at Little Professor on the night of October 4th when the book comes out. So that would be really fun to see people. Um, Who are you going to be talking to? I don't know. They haven't told me. I'm talking with Patty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, so excited. Some sort of anonymous That's, author. <laughs> somebody, I don't know. Yes. I'm somebody so local. Oh, you fun. probably won't get the clothing memo, though. So Yeah. No. Yeah. No, we can once again. Leave me out. We can coordinate, Patty. We can coordinate. Okay. Just text <laughs> me. Be good. Okay. Yes. And All then right, well, my, my website. So yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank, so you. For thank you for having me. Thanks, love. Okay, everyone, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We live live there every week, just like on Facebook. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. And make sure that you come back next week, same time, same place, as we welcome Shelby Van Pelt, who wrote the blockbuster novel y'all are talking about all over the page, remarkably <laughs> bright creatures. But don't go anywhere because we're going to do some Ask Us Anything in the after show. So see you in a minute. Hey. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> well, you know, you didn't get the thing about on Wednesdays we wear pink. I know. <laughs> Once again, I'm, why do you keep Duh. bringing it in? For God's sake.
sake. Get in, loser. We're going losing. I know. <laughs> anyway, they were incredible. I mean, yeah, they were great. Yeah. It is yeah. so crazy how so many themes overlapped. But yeah. such different books. It's such wildly yeah. different books. Yeah. 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 Such a good point. I was about halfway. I read Sarah's and I was about halfway through Lawrence. I was like, oh, that's weird. That is weird. And they both are these imaginary southern towns that you want to move to. One is, you know, near the, both on the coast. Yeah. They're really amazing. But we promised everyone and ask us anything. So I'm going to get us started off. Do you mind? Do it. I think Meg should join us. Meg, yeah. do you want to join us? Because these aren't necessarily like about books per se. Meg. Well, Meg, pop on if you want to come on. Oh, good. Because I'm dying to know the answer to this question. Sharon <laughs> Carlson person put a post on our Ask Us Anything. Hey, Sharon, I know you're here. Um, and it said, do any of you have a tattoo? And if you do, is it book related? <laughs> and since I know, or I'm barely sure that none of us have tattoos, Meg will be on in a second. I thought I'd take Sharon's question to the next level. What if someone told you you had to get a tattoo? What would it be? MKA. Oh, I don't know. Um, uh, Katie had a shamrock tattoo that she got her freshman year in college on spring break. And I did not know it until right before she was getting married and we were having this discussion about you know, back in the day, they called them tramp stamps. <laughs> I made the statement that my daughter does not have a tattoo. And her best friend, uh, and Katie and Kristen have been best friends since fourth or third grade. And, you know, very much still said, uh, yes, she does have a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a shamrock. <laughs> so maybe I get a shamrock for Katie. Oh, I love that. That's the per that's just the perfect reason. I love that's it. Beautiful. How about you, Kristen? I do not have a tattoo. Um, what if you had to get one? Like you didn't have a choice. Just a small one, a tiny one. What would it be? I would probably get three little stars for our little family of three, me and Jason Aww. and Noah. Um, stars, it's weird. Stars have become like a real symbol in our lives. And it began with the sweetness of forgetting where one of the characters um, says to another character, as long as there are stars in the sky, I'll always love you. Like that was their promise of love. And so she looks up at the stars and thinks about him. But I, I never mean for it to happen, but stars are, do they just wind up being woven into my books? Right. And like Jason proposed with that line um, from the sweetness of forgetting, oh, we have stars hanging in our little front hallway here. And like, just stars are now how we just say, I love you to each other. So oh. um, I think three stars for our family. I love that. <laughs> I, I don't have, I'm not. Okay. Christy. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask this question, which would make you think that I would have thought about the answer. I haven't thought about it either. So <laughs> yeah, yet I have not. Um, it just feels so so big. You know? <laughs> it feels so permanent, right? Permanent. Um, yeah, I I don't have one, and I am very. Um, 
fortunate that I don't because uh, there there were some senior Beach Week decisions that were made by some students um, that have been lasered since. Um, and, and you didn't have to undo what had been really done. Really to do that. And one of my one of my friends um, got a butterfly, and she said. I think it's it's gone now, but she said you can imagine during during pregnancy how oh, the little butterfly yeah. becomes a big butterfly, and she sort of wished she had not done that. But um, <laughs> I would get all of your initials. Oh, right, <laughs> all of your initials with like a little heart around them. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. How about you, Meg? I don't. I don't think I ever get one. Um, just the whole permanent factor for me, I think, is what throws me off. But um, if I had to, yeah, I don't even know. I don't know something beachy, maybe because I've spent my entire life mostly living at the beach. But I mean, I have friends who've gotten them impulsively, Christy, like you, and <laughs> one of them has a rather large cat in a hat tattoo, and she says she's asked a million times in her life, like, so do you really love Dr. Seuss? And she's like, you know, no. Not any more than anybody else does. <laughs> That's awesome. I, <laughs> I guess I can live with a beach or maybe a little beach umbrella. I don't I don't know. Beach umbrella. How about a beach umbrella? Meg, I, I, feel like, I feel like you really missed an opportunity there to like one up Christy and say you would tattoo all of our faces on you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like Roger Stone with Nixon across his back. <laughs> yes. On my back. So permanent. Yeah. yeah. It was not big. I mean, it's I mean it's not small, it's huge. Our so, picture from the header is Meg's new back tattoo. Yes. Yeah. And it's perfect for a marketer because like I'm not looking at it, I'm just showing it to the world. <laughs> <laughs> I can't actually even see it. I wish we need to find somebody who can Photoshop that <laughs> on your back. That's Dave's next job. <laughs> I'm gonna email Dave when we hang up. Kathy, I, Mary Kay, I was going to say a shamrock because of this story. So my dad, who his name is George Callahan. And, you know, he's very Irish and uses words like we and like a wee little time and um, <laughs> tiss him when he signs things off. And so when he went to Ireland, he had these plans to get this huge in his 60s or I think it was in his 70s to get this huge um, Celtic cross tattoo on his arm. And they started to do the tattoo. And he was like, yeah, no, that hurts. So he ended up getting a little tiny shamrock right here on his arm. Aww. And so I've always thought if I ever did it, it would be a little tiny shamrock. But I also a peach. Have you need to have a peach. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you're right. right. I yeah. I need to have a peach. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say was feathers. I have, you know, I have feathers all over my oh, art yeah. in my house and in my books. But the feather would be good. Yeah. Maybe right. Pat, maybe Pat would get a peach tattoo. Ask him. Um, oh, yeah, I think, I think if Pat loves you. He'll get a peach. That's right. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm going to tell him that tonight and then I'm going <laughs> to put on the page and then I'm going to quietly, silently tape his answer <laughs> and send it to y'all. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to do illegal voice taping. Okay. <laughs> we have one more ask us anything and then, um, or we can do another. I see, I see this one though. Sharon Sigmund says, hello, I love you all. We love you too, Sandra. I've heard that audiobooks don't count as real books. Do you agree or not agree with this? Um, MKA. Audiobooks, audiobooks are definitely books. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, there are a lot of people who, um, you know, if somebody has a vision problem or if they have um, reading issues. I have a, a friend He's a um, goldsmith and he has dyslexia and he has been listening to audiobooks for as long as I've known him. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't see any difference at all. I think it's just a different way to enjoy stories. And that's what we're about. hundred percent. Yeah. How about you, Kristen? Yeah, I would actually go so far as to say an audiobook gives you a completely different way to read the same book if you want to read it twice. Like if you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if there's a book you've if there's a book you've loved, um hearing it in someone else's boy, voice with someone else's inflections and someone else's interpretation of those characters gives it a completely different read. Um right. and vice versa, if you hear it on audio then to read it yourself, I think it's a different experience. Um I I love listening to audiobooks. It's a great way to pass the time in the car. Um, you know, while you're doing chores around the house, things like that. And I, for me, it absolutely counts as reading. Yeah. How about you, Christy? Me too. Like a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I am. Um, sometimes if I'm really loving an audiobook, I will then go buy the hardcover. Um, yeah. If y'all don't get our newsletter, we always say what we're reading in yeah. the newsletter. Um, you should get our newsletter if you don't. It has great behind the stuff with the authors, but I've been reading Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And I was listening to it on audio, but I never said I was listening. I said I was reading it. But my road trip and all the travels I had were over. So I bought the hardcover so I could finish it. And it is a completely different. We interviewed um, on our Writer's Block podcast, we interviewed the man, Don Katz, who founded Audible. And if you want to listen to that, Sandra... It's really interesting about how we consider these books or not books and why they are books. Meg, what do you think? Great question. I absolutely think it's, I think any, any way you can consume a story, you're consuming it. So yeah, I mean, I I listen to a ton of audio books and I don't, I don't believe in that whole line that it's exciting or whatever. It's not a test, right? We're all just enjoying books. Yeah. Yeah. It supports us still. I mean, it's still supporting the author. Like when you get the audiobook, it's still yeah. supporting our work and our story and our career and all of that. It's yeah. I can yeah. I think with children too, like when my kids were young, we were we would drive from Atlanta down to St. Pete over the holidays, and that was at the time an eight hour drive. And um I would go to the library and get the um unabridged uh British versions of classics. And one year we listened to Treasure Island. And my kids never forgot that experience of listening. They were hanging on every word. Yeah. And if you try to read, you know, um, um, the the original, it's, it's, it's dense prose for a child. Yeah. But it came to life on the audiobook. Yeah. The same thing we listened to, Call of the Wild. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Another great classic for the kids to listen yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. That audiobooks helped me with um, my son. He was like, you know, he would have trouble getting into a book when he was a lot younger. And I said, well, try listening. And so what he would do, he did this himself, was actually listen while reading so that he could oh, wow. having it read to you while you were also reading it. And I, it really, I mean, it, it really sunk in then for him, but he enjoyed oh. it. I think it's just an enhancement. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know I've talked about before. One of my favorite books is um, "The End of the Affair" by Graham Greene, mm -hmm. and Colin Firth reads the audiobook. Oh, oh nice! <laughs> I asked on our group the other day for audiobook suggestions, and I got so many good ones. But that one, I'm gonna have to because I've never read that yeah. book. No, oh, that book is amazing, and it's not very long. You know, it ended up being a movie with Ralph Fiennes, and it's mm -hmm. just. It's well, amazing. So many audiobooks now are the full cast recordings. So they're yes. It's, yes. It's a really enhanced experience. Like um, a lot of Taylor Jenkins Reid's books are a yeah. full cast yeah. listening to the yeah. new one, Harry Soto. Christy, I'm listening to that right now. Yeah, I knew you would love it because it's very yeah. tennis heavy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so tennis heavy. It's great. I'm like really into it. It makes me want to like, I'm like, can I play yet? Can I play yet? <laughs> I'm going to read it like I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm yeah. <laughs> no, no. I can't hit a tennis ball. I can't hit a tennis it's ball, scary. and I forgot to wear pink. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a real problem. Um, no, but I don't. I don't think that you like have to love tennis to like enjoy the book. No, so, I don't think so either. Oh no, I know you don't. Everybody's raving about it. Um, I can answer this last. Ask us anything, and then I know our MKA needs to. Uh, yes. Needs to finish a book before midnight. Um, so uh, Sharon Carlson person asked who met who first in this group of four. And Kathy and I met 20 years ago. Mary Kay yeah. and I met 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. At a Christmas yeah. party. And then I met Christy next. No, Meg next. Then Christy and Kristen. Who'd you meet first in the group, Christy? Um, I met... You first, Patty, at um, Oakwood Queens. It was right, it was in 2015, right when my first book came out. And then I think I met Kristen next. I know we had that fun breakfast in Orlando. And then and then I think we saw each other at SEBA too. Like right? It was funny because it was like we'd never met. And then you met me for breakfast. Yeah, a bunch. We saw each other like kind of yeah. more frequently after that. And then... So I think Kathy was the last one that I met and we'd only met one time, like briefly. Yeah. We met in the um, green room at the Decatur book festival. Oh, yeah. 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 And I had never met Kristen until we started yeah. friends in fiction. Yeah. I, I hadn't met you or Patty or Meg. I, I only knew. Yeah. yeah. I just knew Christy. I just yeah. said the other night, like you really got in with a fast crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying to do my work and they were sending texts about watching the Emmys when I was trying to work. And so then I thought, oh, you're going to blame us. <laughs> yeah. So Kathy, you're saying that Christy and Kristen and Patty are the, the friends that your mom would refer to as that. <laughs> and that Patty. Yeah, I was, we have a big class reunion coming up and, and a, and a, wom a woman, who I went all through junior high and high school with, I haven't seen in, in all those years. And it's, it's our 50th. I'll just say it. And um, my husband and I were talking about it and Tom, my, Tom and I went to high school together. And I said, um, I still remember calling this girl's house. And back in the day, 
you called someone's house and their mom answered the phone. Mm-hmm. And I said, hi, is, is, you know, blah, blah, home. And she said, she's doing her homework like you should be doing. Click. <laughs> you were definitely that Kathy after that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure her mother said. That Kathy friend. <laughs> and Meg, you met Kathy first, right? You met Mary Kay first. I'm yeah. trying to think, Meg, had we ever met in real life before Friends in Fiction? I don't well, think so. We've spoken on the phone a couple of times, yeah. but we've never met. And then um, Mary Kay and I started working together in 2009. So I'm really right. bad at math, but I think that's. Uh, <laughs> 14 years, 13. I, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew Mary Alice as well. Right. And, uh, I never met Kristen, but as soon as Friends in Fiction formed, it was uh, fast friendships all around. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because <laughs> she needed you so bad. You're desperate. <laughs> Desperation <laughs> forms fast right. friendships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. That was an incredible night. Yeah, great job, Patty. Great job of hosting. I have to go go finish a book before midnight. (laughs) Good luck with that. Let us know if you want us to round robin that ending. We're here for you. We we got it. Yeah. We're going to be texting you. We don't want the chariot to turn into a pumpkin, so get it done. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.